Yeah, good, good. You know, the primary is tomorrow, actually, the new primary, so. Going to be a busy day. It wouldn't surprise me. How's the, uh, how's the sense on the ground right now? I, you know, honestly, I'm not doing the politics of it. I'm just doing the lawyering of it. And, and so, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a bad situation. Uh, and it shouldn't have, should we, it shouldn't have happened. We shouldn't be in this position, but you know, where we are. Are you trying to stay pretty agnostic throughout the whole thing where you were so closely tied to it? Well, I, I mean, I've been closely tied to it from the legal point of view. I, I do election cases really all over the state of Connecticut. And, um, you know, I don't really get involved in doing political advising on, for this type of situation. I've done it for a couple of other, a uh, couple of other races, but for, this is just, this is, you know, I don't think you can be a campaign advocate and be a lawyer in, at the same time. Yeah, it would be a little challenging. Well, people make people make decisions in campaigns for different reasons than lawyers make decisions relating to campaigns. So I got I, I try to keep them pretty pretty separate. You just mentioned that you've handled other cases. Anything like this? Anything to this extreme before? Not to this extreme. No, I've I've handled. Uh, I actually got a, a new primary for a state representative candidate in Bridgeport uh, a year ago where there was evidence that uh, voters' names had been forged on absentee ballot applications, that the voters actually didn't sign the applications. And so that was a very close race. We put on evidence that some of the signatures had been had been fake. They'd been signed by somebody else. And so a judge ordered a new primary in that situation. Um, but I've been involved in quite a few election cases around the state through the years. Do you think this one's just blown up so big because of the relation to 2020 and how it's kind of on everybody's brain, this idea of election fraud? Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. But I also think that the, the videos uh, obviously made a huge difference. They made a huge difference both in terms of the evidence uh, and they made a huge difference in terms of the uh, uh, you know, kind of the mood, the, the, the mood of the, of the people in the city seeing with their own two eyes that this is what was happening. Now, you know, I am, I've been doing this a long time. I am not a naive person. And anybody who thinks that this was not happening before is being naive. Uh, just this time it got caught. Um, uh, there were, there was video, uh, and, and the video, enough of the video came light to make it clear that this is that this ballot harvesting against Connecticut law was what was going on so that's what was surprising to me is I didn't realize this is an issue that has been plaguing Bridgeport for quite some time I read a statement I think it was from the office of the secretary of the state and she was pushing for people to go to the polling places vote in person and was citing you know decades of fraud allegations saying just go to the polls don't worry about vote by mail. Go to the polls. Cast your ballot. Yeah, no. Bridgeport has Bridgeport has got a very long and checkered history uh, when it comes to uh, particularly absentee ballot issues. Uh, it, it, I could have, you know, I, I could have, I could have cited to the court in my post-trial uh, briefing. I could have cited only cases from Bridgeport uh, in support of the uh, in support of the relief. I, I, I think that. Apart from a case in 1982 involving really kind of an accidental absentee ballot misconduct, there has never been a, a successful absentee ballot uh, challenge 
anywhere in Connecticut except for Bridgeport. Wow, really? I don't know that that's yeah. a, a record you want to have. Well, it, it is part of the political culture in Bridgeport. It is something that uh, I've talked with one of the state senators here, uh, Marilyn Moore, who's a very honest, very by the book, straight shooter. Uh, she has said, been quoted publicly saying uh, that in, being in meetings where it, candidates said, look, there's no way you can get elected in Bridgeport without uh, the absentee ballot harvesting operation. And, and they, the, the people that are in charge, uh, they don't seem to think that it's uh, a reputation that is a bad one for them to have. It's, it's been going on for years. And, you know, I, one of the, one of the kind of the, uh, the main partisans in, in the case that I had uh, involving the September primary two months earlier had a, a case that she had from 2019 referred to the chief prosecutor in the state of Connecticut for possible criminal violations. And then two months later, we're out seeing the same thing or uh, seeing the same alleged thing from, from 2019. And, and two months after the referral, it, it's, it's sort of, it's, the judge Clark called the conduct shocking. Uh, and that's what most people thought. That's what really sparked my interest and in kind of what was the catalyst for me reaching out to you to try to figure out what's going on is I read some quotes from him and looked into the case and it seemed like the evidence was just shocking. It was pretty damning and alarming in a lot of ways. You called this an operation. Is that what you believe it is? It's not just people trying to get their candidate in. It's more formulaic. Oh, I don't think that it's just uh, p people acting completely uh, unilaterally and coincidentally. I mean, uh, lawyers, as a, as, a, as a species, don't tend to believe in coincidences. Things happen for a reason, by and large. And this, you know, you've got one partisan uh, making 10, uh, 10 drops in drop boxes uh, on separate occasions. You've got another one making five. You've got some other ones. And those are the ones we identified. We, you know, we, we, we couldn't find if anybody had put their harvested ballots in, in the U.S. mail. Well, we'd never know it. We could never find that because there's no cameras on on mailboxes. Um, so no, I, I this is this you know, at least according to reputation and the information that we have from people like Senator Moore. This is just, this is just part of the electoral process here. And people have constituents just accepted that, or are they not? as aware as the people who are running and playing the game? Well, that's a, that's a hard question to answer because I don't know exactly what constituents are being told. Uh, the, the state actually just last week uh, ordered a subpoena to the uh, state of Connecticut Office of Policy and Management to get records of a rental rebate program uh, from Bridgeport. There have been, there's been chatter here that people were promised uh, a break on their rent if they were in housing authority property or in, in any kind of property really with it, that, uh, where this rental rebate program could apply. Now we couldn't get into that in my case. It just, it's, it was a very expedited uh, process. And, and once we had the videos, frankly, that kind of, kind of focused my attention on the ballot harvesting issue, but I, we don't really know what, what voters are being told. Uh, I, I'm confident that 90% of the voters that pass their ballot over to uh, one of these partisans, they don't, they don't 
they don't think they're doing anything wrong. They're not, they're not trying to break the law. And, and it's, and for them, it's not a crime. It's, it's, uh, it's misconduct and it leads to their ballot not being counted, but, uh, it's, it's a crime for the person who takes somebody else's ballot. And if somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, all you have to do is vote for this candidate and your rent's going to be decreased. That's a pretty hard deal to pass up. Well, we'll find out if that happened. I, I'm, I'm, I, I subpoenaed those rental rebate records in my case in, in uh, October, but again, just ran out of time. The, 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 the election was six weeks after the primary. We had to get a decision on, on whether a new primary was going to be ordered before the election. Uh, I'm, I am hopeful that some, some entity with greater investigative power than me, somebody who has either a grand jury or has search warrant capacity or uh, has law enforcement capacity is going to look into that. I think it's um, definitely an important question to look into. So take me back to the beginning for people that aren't aware of this mayor race in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's between John Gomes and the incumbent who is currently the mayor. How did this come to your attention? How did Gomes get on your radar? Well, the, this I am kind of known in Connecticut for doing election cases. So fairly often, if somebody's got an election related problem, I'm going to be on their short list. But the way it came out publicly was, was kind was there were, there was a courageous, uh, whistleblower, frankly, uh, somebody who, uh, the, the, all, there were four drop boxes in Bridgeport where absentee ballots could be completed. Absentee ballots could be, uh, dropped, voted. And there are uh, video cameras on each of the four drop boxes, which is good. The problem is nobody looks at the feed and nobody uh, looks at the recording. And, and somebody, they're not monitored. There's 3,000 cameras in the city of Bridgeport uh, that are all controlled by the police department. They'll go to them if there's like an accident under some intersection. They'll go to the camera. If there's a shooting on some street, they'll go to the camera. But they don't, go, they don't, they don't monitor these cameras uh, 24-7. So what happened is that there was a complaint by somebody, uh, just a, a, a passerby, saying that there was uh, odd activity happening at one of the drop boxes uh, early in the morning on one day, a couple of weeks before the primary. And apparently somebody looked at the video, thought that there was something unusual about it, uh, a uh, Reported and the police uh, did a, a brief investigation, but didn't uncover the absentee ballot issue. They were just looking to see if somebody was was tampering with the ballot box, maybe. And then what happened though is the primary took place in uh, September, and then a couple of days later, somebody from inside the, the city government uh, leaked a, about a two minute section of one of the drops uh, publicly, and uh, and it and it appeared to show what. Ultimately, it did show, which was somebody with a ballot harvesting, uh, dropping a bunch of absentee ballots in uh, that didn't belong to them. So uh, John Gomes, who I didn't know, I'd never met him before, uh, called me and said, would I be interested in getting involved? And and I said, well, let me take a look at it. I, I sent a letter to the police department directing them to preserve all of the video on all four of the drop boxes. Uh, we got more of the video, uh, found that there were multiple occasions where people had, had, had uh, done this. And so I agreed to help them out and filed, uh, filed an expedited challenge to the primary. And, uh, and then Judge Clark on November 1st uh, agreed with. How many hours of footage did you guys comb through? 
<laughs> well, uh, each uh, they, they've been recording for 30 days before the primary, uh, or, or that's when the ba ballots could or three weeks actually before the primary. So there's 21 days, 24 hours a day, four drop boxes. So I think that it was uh, 2,100 uh, hours of video, which I watched. I will confess, I watched at 16 times speed because that's the only way you could possibly get through that. So. Um, it took it. It was tedious. It took a long time, but it 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 was ultimately it was super important to the result because we identified about 430 people approach the drop boxes. No more than that. There there's a couple where it's a little ambiguous, but no more than 430. And we also proved that about 1,250 ballots came in through the drop boxes. So. You know, it's possible that, say, a husband and a wife, they somebody drops in two or somebody drops in two for them and their 18-year-old kid. That's possible. But 800 uh, the, or 900 between the number of approaches and the number of uh, absentee ballots that came in through the drop boxes seemed pretty unlikely to us, uh, particularly given the rest of the video evidence. Yeah, that's a pretty substantial difference. Well, and, and one of the other things that was that was really important and and really and and I think proved what the kind of the depths of the of the ballot harvesting uh, operation was. There are some districts where Mayor Ganim's vote total was almost seventy percent by absentee ballots. Think about that: seven out of ten people in some districts voted by absentee ballot. In other districts, it was as low as five percent. So unless there is a particularly Connecticut does not have excuse-free absentee balloting. Uh, it, it's, uh, uh, you have to either be out of the town or sick or physically disabled, a couple of other reasons. Um, you know, unless you believe that people in one district are, you know, what is that, 15 times more likely to be sick or out of the town uh, or physically disabled, that's just powerful evidence of, of, a, of an intentional harvesting operation. Because the numbers just make no sense without, without that explanation. Harvesting operations. So are we talking about individuals who legally voted for a candidate and then an individual went and picked up those votes or were these ballots not correctly filled out by the individual who they were supposed to go to? Well, what we proved is that they were ballots that at a minimum were not returned by the voter in the way that the voter is is under state law supposed to return them connecticut has a as connecticut has a pretty long and 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 not not on the scale of bridgeport but does have a kind of a, a history with absentee ballots and there is some suspicion here and so the law says that in order for an absentee ballot to be lawfully cast counted it has to be returned by the voter by mail returned by the voter to a drop box returned by a designee of the voter who, who's, and if, if they are uh, disabled or sick or, or an immediate family member or a parent of a, of, a, of a voter in school, that's it. And our statute is very clear that under no circumstances should a partisan affiliated with a campaign ever touch a ballot. In fact, the mayor said, uh, uh, we direct our people not to touch the ballot. Now, you know, that obviously the, the action spoke louder than, than words, but um, the voter is expected to never give up custody of the ballot except for those very, very narrow circumstances. And, and that is just plainly not what happened here. Now, 
Is it possible that some of those absentee ballots that were completed were actually intercepted by somebody from a mailbox and taken and filled out and had a name forged, a signature forged, uh, and then submitted not by the voter, but by somebody else? You bet. That's absolutely possible. Um, Again, I am confident that 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 is what law enforcement is going to be looking at and the State Elections Enforcement Commission. I, I I don't know what they're going to find, but at least anecdotally, that happens that ballots don't get to where they're supposed to get to and are and are and are uh, voted by somebody other than the voter. I didn't tr- try to prove that and I didn't prove that in our hearing, but it I I I have a significant suspicion that that happens. I was reading an article where one of the individuals implicated in the ballot harvesting was accusing another individual who I believe was on the city council of harvesting absentee ballots from a mailbox outside of a, a senior living facility? Have you well, that? I, yeah, I think I, know, I think I know what you're talking about. The claim was that one of her, one of, another city council member went into an apartment and took a ballot that had been completed by the voter. Uh, the police just announced that uh, they were not going to be filing any criminal charges with respect to that. that. I think that was just announced on Friday. and. I, but I, I think, uh, uh, and and the Ganem campaign has kind of pointed the fingers and said, well, you know, the, the Gomes campaign is doing this as well. First of all, they had the opportunity to try to prove that at the trial, and they didn't, and they didn't call any of the people who they accused in the paper of misconduct as witnesses. But second of all, even if 100% of what they say is true, it, it is dwarfed by what we see on the videotape. And they had the access to the same videotape that we had. If they, if they thought the videotape showed something nefarious, uh, they, they had that, the chance to use it. Yeah, that was another interesting aspect was that the Ganem campaign was pointing at Gomes and saying, you guys, are, you guys are being hypocrites. You're involved in the same thing. But then why not bring that up in court? Why not point to the video that you're citing after the fact? Well, and I can't answer why another lawyer doesn't or does uh, do something. All I know is that they had two witnesses under subpoena for the trial. Uh, it, and then I was told by the witnesses that they were interviewed by, uh, by uh, the defense attorneys. And after that, the subpoenas were withdrawn and they were not put on as witnesses. So, you know, you don't need to be a lawyer to come to a conclusion uh, on that. But uh, uh, that's, that's my understanding of what happened. Yeah, if you're not using your two witnesses, it's probably not a far stretch to say that their case wasn't that great. Well, it's it, you you only are going to put on evidence that you think is going to help. And and if they went on the stand and said, you know, yeah, look, I had six ballots and they were all people in my family and I had their permission. Uh, okay, you're not going to put that evidence on. And so I don't know exactly what they were going to say. I, I didn't. I wasn't going to put them on. There was no need to. But, you know, I the people I put on, you know, two of them took the fifth. Uh, you know, uh, when I asked them, is that you and the video, uh, involved in, in dropping ballots that didn't belong to you? And, and, uh, you know, I've been doing this for pretty close to 40 years. I've never had a witness actually in a trial, uh, assert the fifth amendment privilege to refuse to answer a question. And, and so, uh, you know, that was, that was a pretty jarring uh, day, frankly, that was, uh, and and one of one of them is a city council member uh, here in Bridgeport, and the other one is the vice chair of the Democratic Town Committee. So it was uh, it was jarring. Yeah, it's alarming when you hear that these aren't just 
individuals out about in the community. These are people who are holding these positions where you would think there would be some modicum of respect for the process, I guess, or a greater understanding. Oh, I don't think it's a question of a lack of understanding of the process at all. I think it's a lack of respect for the process and a lack of respect for the rules. And, you know, and, and this is one of the, one of the things that, uh, is true for some people involved in politics and you know, what's more important? Is it more important to win or is it more important to, to um, play by the rules or follow, follow the rules, not play, but just follow the rules as part of an election. I am sure that there are, if, if you walked into a, a convention with a hundred people running for office, you could get different answers to that question. Right. Um, you know, I, I think it's it, the problem is that when people don't play by the rules, it just creates cynicism, uh, breeds distrust. You know, I, I this 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 case. I mean, I'm look. I'm glad that it came out. I'm hoping that there's going to be some reform. But it what did it do to increase people's confidence in the in the political system in the electoral system? Not only in Bridgeport, but I mean, all over the United States. I, I it 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 was. Uh, Again, I'm glad. I'm I, I'm I'm glad on one level that it happened, then that we were able to uncover it. But on the other hand, I think it's just profoundly sad that it did happen, and uh, that we had to uncover it. I wish that I had never met John Gomes because the rules were followed, and he didn't need a lawyer. What were you thinking as you start combing through this video and you start recognizing these discrepancies? Well. It, it didn't take very long uh, once we started looking at the video and started doing the, the numbers on, on the vote totals from the various precincts before it was pretty clear that there was a major problem. Uh, I, I was in election cases, this election or this primary, actually, it was not the closest primary I've ever been involved in. It was 251 votes and kind of where you always start with an election case is you go to the end, you look at the end first and say, well, how do I show that, that the result, you know, could have been, probably would have been different or could have been different. Or in Connecticut, the standard is whether the result is so uncertain that the judge cannot declare a winner. Well, the easy way to do that is like the case I had last year, there was a two vote difference uh, between the winner and the loser. And I had four absentee ballot applications that I could prove were forged. Okay, well, four is greater than two, so that's the judge uh, uh, ordered a new primary. Well, in this case, I look at a 251 vote total, and I, you know, and that's 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 not a minimal difference in in a in a in a municipal race of this size. Um, it 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 it's it's that's the first the first place you start is is how is a judge going to look at a 251 vote total and say there was misconduct on such a broad scale that it calls the result into doubt. Well, ultimately, it wound up becoming, I think, to me, it wound up becoming not a close call because of the scope of the misconduct on the on the uh, video and the uh, the assertion of the Fifth Amendment privilege and the uh, the vote totals in the different precincts. It was, um, you know, I just keep coming back to his his word, his his language is shocking and uh, it was shocking. And I I agree with him. I mean, it was, uh, uh, absent the video, I don't think we are able to prevail, uh, because there would be no way to show that there was that kind of level of misconduct. Yeah. And absent that individual saying, Hey, I think something's going on with these ballot boxes and the recording. I mean, who knows if this would have ever been brought to anyone's attention? 
well, I know it wouldn't have been. It, it, it would have done, then the, the tapes erased, the video erases after 30 days. So uh, if, if that had not come out within the 14 days that we could final, file an election challenge, then the whole thing goes away and it never, it never happens. So, you know, and that's, you know, kind of both sides that have looked at this case, both, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans that have looked at this case, they're, they're both kind of drawing the wrong conclusion, frankly. Uh, the Democrats are taking the position that, well, you know, this, this shows how the system works. I say, you know, yeah, kind of. It works if there's a whistleblower who uh, leaks the, uh, uh, the two minutes of video that gets the ball rolling. But that doesn't, how many, that didn't happen in 2022 here. It didn't happen in 2021. It didn't happen in 2020. So yeah, it worked. Uh, a judge heard the evidence. The judge uh, made a decision based on the evidence that he had, but it, it was not, it was not, uh, guaranteed that that was going to happen and it wouldn't have happened, but for the whistleblower. And, you know, and on the other side, you know, the, the, the Republicans, I think, are drawing a little more, uh, from this, from the experience of Bridgeport than really the evidence warrants because I, if, if the, if the argument is that Bridgeport has been engaged in absentee ballot fraud for a long time, I'm a hundred percent on board. It, it is clear that that's, uh, uh, the, the circumstance. But again, I do these cases in all over the state of Connecticut and there is nowhere else where there is even, even anecdotal evidence of misconduct on anything close to this scale. Uh, there have been some kind of sloppy town clerk practices, so sloppy registrar practices, but in terms of just people out and out willfully ballot harvesting, there, the, the, the numbers don't, don't add up, don't, don't, uh, indicate that this is a problem anywhere except Bridgeport. For example, we had uh, something over, um, uh, I think it was 15% of, or 20%, I think, in the last general election of the ballots cast were by absentee. And in New Haven, the another comparably sized city, it's 5%. So the, the rate of absentee ballot use in Bridgeport is not accidental. Uh, it is it is part of this ballot harvesting process, uh, culture, if you will. But, you know, my town, there's a couple of hundred people vote absentee ballot. Nobody's ballot harvesting it, it it wouldn't be tolerated but it's tolerated here it's tolerated both by the local uh municipality uh uh, uh the, you know the culture i guess is the way i would i would put it and and frankly uh state leaders in in connecticut have not done enough to call it out uh, and and i that i can't explain at all but it's uh it's been kind of an an open secret for years and uh and it is still going on. Do you think that if the absentee ballot rates were higher throughout the state of Connecticut, you would see more of this? Or there's just something intrinsically tied to Bridgeport that breeds no, this culture? No, I don't. I think it's something intrinsically tied to Bridgeport. I, 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 there, there is, I, just about every race to, recently, uh, the, uh, well, it, I'll, I'll talk about Mayor Ganim's last two races. He lost, well, counting, counting the primary, he lost his last three races on the machines, on the, on the in-person voting. He then turned his numbers around overnight when the absentee ballots were counted. Well, that's, 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 a, I, and, and the numbers of people that vote absentee ballot in Bridgeport just dwarf the number of people anywhere else. It really takes a, 
a kind of a deliberate process to to do ballot harvesting on a scale that would make a difference in an election. You know, it it's uh, you know, when you think about it, to to, to uh, get hundreds of absentee ballots that belong to somebody else and and uh, and and cast them or or even get the get the people to vote for by absentee ballot who may not be qualified to vote absentee ballot. It, it takes a real a lot of energy, a lot of time. Uh, if if somebody knocked on on a door in my town, I live in a smaller town. If somebody knocked on a door in my town and said, "Well, I've got, I'd like you to fill out this form, you'll get an absentee ballot," no, they're going to say no. They're they're going to say, you know, it's not the pandemic anymore. A lot of people did vote absentee during the pandemic, but they're going to say no. And and whether it's cajoling or whether it's persuading or whether the rental rebate program is involved or whether it's just kind of habit, I don't know. I, but I know that the evidence is that it is, it is a significant problem. Well, and tying back into Joe Ganim, his 2019 election was also plagued by allegations of fraud, was it not? I believe it's still under investigation. That one's drawn out a little while. Well, that's the one that, uh, yeah, that, that is the one that this, the state elections enforcement commission just referred three people well in July referred three people to the chief state's attorney's office for possible criminal violations. Uh, yeah. So that one's still under investigation. And, uh, um, the, now that, then that case did not have video. That was a, uh, a, a case where actually Marilyn Moore, the state Senator was running for mayor. She lost the primary uh, and, and, uh, and there, and no video came to light, uh, showing the ballot harvesting, but was, is it likely that there was ballot harvesting in that, uh, as well? Well, just based on the numbers, based on the way the results turned around overnight, I'd say there's a, a decent chance of that. Um, but without the kind of evidence we had, it's very, very hard to prove. Do you anticipate that now that you do have this evidence and it's concrete that something will be done to mitigate these issues in the future? Well, that's a really hard question to answer because I would like to think so, but I am suspicious whether there is going to be a way to legislate our way out of this problem. Uh, I think there are some things that a, a, a smart legislature could do. For example, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're all, I'm hearing from people, well, we're going to mandate that cameras are put on drop boxes. Well, okay, fine. I mean, it's not going to hurt. But what does that do? There, there are two problems with that. One is who's going to look at the video? Is, is, is somebody really going to look at 2,100 hours of video um, within a couple of days after an election to see if there was ballot harvesting? But I mean, more fundamentally, think about it. If, 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 if a voter is allowed to return a ballot directly to the town clerk through a Dropbox or by the U.S. mail, if, if there is ballot harvesting going on what are you going to what are you going to do you're not going to use the dropbox because you know there's camera you're not going to bring it to the town clerk because they know it's not you so no you just put a stamp on it so you know i'm i am frankly a little bit afraid that what we have done in this case is just made a roadmap of how not how to get around some of the statutory requirements but you know we we're going to request the uh the data uh from the primary when it takes place to see if the number of people using the drop boxes or the number of ballots that came in through a drop box is, is, is much smaller than it was compared to the U S mail. Uh, 
the, for this for, compared to the uh, September primary. And if if the numbers are flipped around, if now two thirds came in through the drop box for the September primary, if two thirds now come in through the U.S. mail and only a third through the drop box, I mean, draw your own conclusions. That's that means that somebody has found a way around it. Uh, I, I think that really the only realistic way out of this is both a culture change, just a, 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 a an acceptance of responsibility by the parties that this is not the way to win elections in Bridgeport, and also a law enforcement. I, 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 think, uh, I think there is probably a limit to what people will do to cheat in an election if they know that they're going to prison for a couple of years. I just, you know, I, people will do crazy things but if there's a consequence of of, of incarceration, uh, that seems it, it, that would at least I think temper some of the enthusiasm and some of the we're going to get away with it approach that that has been kind of a culture here for way too long. Yeah, if you believe that you can cheat and win, and your odds of getting caught are only ten percent, how many people are going to take that deal? Well, and and there's no consequences if you get caught so far. Right. I mean, we're still talking about what happened in 2019 uh, and, and there haven't been any individual consequences to any of those uh, those people that were referred. Now, maybe there aren't going to be charges. Maybe there are going to be a bunch of criminal charges for this. My case uh, it wouldn't shock me, but it's going to come too late uh, for the election. It's, it's not going to be it, it's not going to. It's not going to be decided in a time when voters would be able to use that data and use that information and make a decision. I would hope that the uh, the authorities would move faster than four years, uh, which is how long they took with the last uh, one. Now, and, and, and listen, I recognize that there was a pandemic and that really shut down a lot of investigations for a period of time. And I'm, I also say that the, the state of Connecticut has not funded the Elections Enforcement Commission very well. Uh, they, uh, they have not, they have cut its staff significantly. Uh, they imposed a, for, for new cases, they've imposed a one-year deadline where they have to either bring the case to close or uh, dismiss it. Uh, but they don't, they don't have enough staff. They, they have nowhere near enough staff to do an investigation of what's happening in Bridgeport. They're, it's impossible. They, if, if they could, if they had help from Law enforcement, maybe, but and I don't know whether they do or not. But it it's certainly on their own. The civil side of it, the election enforcement is is uh, they just don't have the the capacity to 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 do this. And I think people know that. People are aware that that they're it just falls into a, a drawer. And you know, maybe I hear in a year, maybe I don't. And and but so far for. Despite everything that's happened in Bridgeport through the years, there have been essentially no consequences. That's alarming. Well, it's sad. It's it's uh, there was a, there was an article actually in Sunday's New York Times of kind of the history of 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 well, and part of the history of the misconduct in Bridgeport, and and the the writer uh, kind of kind of drew the same conclusion. She or, or quoted people drawing the same conclusion that it's just. It's just dug in. It's it is part of the fabric of the way elections run in Bridgeport, and um, it, it as you said that you know if you if if this is going to help win, uh, and and there aren't very many consequences, and there's not a good chance of getting caught, and there's no consequences if you do, uh, then go ahead. And and I so I think 
honestly, I, I would love to say that there's a legislative fix to this. And there may be some things that, that can be done to nibble around the edges. But when push comes to shove, if people, if, if there's going to be absentee balloting, which I think most people agree is, is, is a good idea, whether it's a good idea for universal absentee balloting. Some people really love it. Some people think it's not so great. But if there's going to be absentee ballot uh, voting, then there do need to be rules and there need to be rules that are enforced to make sure that the ballots are, are protected. Do you think that the simplest solution would just be to require in-person voting? Well, I mean, that would certainly be simple, but it would be a, a tremendous uh, hardship for some people who do genuinely have a hard time getting to the polls. You know, there are people, I, it was the saddest thing. I, I'm watching this video uh, one one weekend, having having ruined like basically three weeks of my life looking at these crazy videos, but there was a handicapped couple that was literally dragging themselves. They were dragging themselves across the front patio of the, of the city hall annex. It was probably, I don't know, 30, 40 yards, something like that. And they, they, they were, they were very restricted in their mobility and they, and, and that, and there's two, there are two of them and they're both mobility restricted. One's got one ballot. One's got the other ballot. And they thought it was important enough that they could drag themselves across this patio to put their ballots into the the, uh, the drop box. And so for them, yeah, I mean, not having to find parking, being able to do this on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning, for them, I, yeah, I think that absentee balloting is, uh, absentee voting is, is helps make it easier to vote. I, and making it easier to vote is not the problem. Making it harder to vote by breaking the rules is the problem. And uh, again, I, I just, I go back to enforcement. I think that this is going to ultimately be a law enforcement issue. Yeah, that's, that's what it would require, especially having some back-end repercussions for if you engage in this activity, the book's coming down. We can't have this, especially when you're in a situation like we find ourselves with the current national climate around elections and people being severely skeptical and calling into question the presidential election, I would imagine that might almost hinder this moving forward because people wouldn't want to look at it for what it is and for the extreme. Well, it certainly feeds into that, that whole, uh, debate and, and, you know, it, it means that, uh, uh, the, Democrats cannot deny that there has been some evidence of absentee ballot fraud in Bridgeport. They can't. And, and, uh, and the, uh, the Republicans can certainly say, see, it's happening in Bridgeport. We don't know where else it's happening. Well, okay. I mean, I get that. And, and, uh, the, the, the answer to that, I think, at least for Connecticut, is that there, the, the data, the numbers just suggest that it is not an issue anywhere but in Bridgeport. Now, do I know New York? No. Do I know Boston? No. Do I know Atlanta? No. Uh, I, you know, I know that there've been plenty of people that looked at those cases and or places and, and either they didn't find evidence of, of fraud or, or there wasn't evidence of fraud. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I know the difference between my case and, and the, the post 2020 election cases as we had evidence. Uh, and, and I, you know, lawyers are not magicians. You, I can't, I can't create evidence out of thin air. Uh, but we had what we had, we had the videos, we had, uh, the, 
witness statements. We had the numbers, the data, the, uh, and so we were able to prove misconduct. Um, but I do agree that it, 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 at a minimum feeds into the narrative and, and reinforces, uh, cynicism, uh, by anybody who wants to, uh, look at what the facts are here. It does. It does. I, I can't, I can't dispute that. And, and, and that's why I, I think one of the things that the people that were involved in this really have, um, not only locally, but nationally have, have, have not done us any favors. People who believe in fair elections have not done us any favors, uh, by, uh, by creating a, a piece of, a, 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 a data point showing that there was, uh, absentee ballot misconduct. It's, I think that's deeply unfortunate that we are in this situation. Yeah. Now Bridgeport is almost a lightning rod example where you can point at it and say, oh, well, look at this, look at these egregious amounts of fraud. Is it just localized in Bridgeport or is it more national? I mean, what kind of numbers are we dealing with? Well, and there's, and there's, it's hard to answer that, isn't it? You know, I, again, I go back to what we, we had, we had evidence. I don't know what the lawyers and some of the unsuccessful uh, uh, election challenges uh, did or had or looked at. I don't know if the claims were uh, absentee ballot fraud or something else. I can't. I just can't comment on on whether this is the tip of the iceberg nationally or whether this is a a one off in one very uh, insular and uh, very uh, you know, difficult to run elections city in, in one of the smallest states in the, the country. I don't know. Um, I, I can't, I, I, again, that's why I'm a little bit uncomfortable saying with both sides using this case as a kind of a, of, a, you know, of a shining example of how the system works or, a, you know, a tawdry example of how elections are all crooked. I, I, I don't think it's either one uh, to, to me, but I don't know what's happening in these other cities. I, I stick with Connecticut. I'm not, uh, I'm not setting foot outside of Connecticut on an election case. Has, have cases like this one, and especially over your career, you said 40 years you've been doing election cases. Has that changed your view on election security or integrity? Well, I think I think what has happened in Bridgeport has changed my view uh, on on election security. I think that um, I don't think that there is a way to legislate your way out of it, other than by banning absentee balloting, which I am not in favor of. I don't think that that's fair to people that legitimately need absentee ballots to uh, to uh, most expeditiously and most uh, painlessly cast their vote. I don't. I the problem isn't absentee ballots. The problem is people who don't who break the rules in collecting absentee ballots and, and assisting people in voting by absentee ballot or who else knows what happens uh, here. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually pretty encouraged by election security elsewhere in the state of Connecticut. I think that I, I, I can't, I can't tell you the last time I got a call from somebody who had a complaint about something similar to what's happening in Bridgeport. I, I it, the complaints are always just, Kind of well, you know the the assistant. I, I was involved in a case where the assistant town clerk went to the drop box and picked up the ballots, and and the statute says the clerk has to do it. I'm like, okay, fine. I mean, so so what? Are the ballots valid or are they not valid? Did are they are they forged or not forged? Did you receive them in time or did you not receive them in time? I, I'm all for counting valid votes uh, under our statute, 
Uh, I'm not a big hyper-technical, uh, you know, you didn't, you forgot to cross a, a T on some form. And so this vote should be thrown out. I, I don't buy that at all, but uh, I do think that there, there is from a, from a, from an enforcement perspective, we have to pay more attention to what's, what's, what's happening. Now, it, it, could it be that there's similar problems in other towns and cities in Connecticut? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's possible, I guess, but I, all I know is I don't get calls from anywhere except Bridgeport. Yeah, that's what also adds to the nuance of this conversation is you have legitimate cases of ballot stuffing, and then you also have ballots where maybe they were improperly marked or improperly dated or the signature wasn't quite right, and it might have just been an honest mistake. It's like, well, well this and is there are all... a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of ways in Connecticut, there are a lot of ways to make an honest mistake that will disqualify your ballot. It's a, it's a very cumbersome process. We have, uh, uh, there's a, a, a voter gets a ballot, which the voter has to fill out and that's secret. There's no names on the ballot other than candidates, but then the voter has to put the ballot in an, what's called an inner envelope, uh, which has the uh, voter signature on it, uh, and is, and is serial numbered and in, and then puts the inner envelope with the ballot into an outer envelope which is used to mail it back to the town clerk where it's assembled and ultimately counted by the town clerk or the registrar so if somebody doesn't sign the inner envelope but casts the ballot that would otherwise be valid it doesn't get counted if uh if it is if the ballot is in the outer envelope but not in the inner envelope but they're both inside the uh, both of them the inner envelope and the ballot are in, both in the outer envelope it doesn't get counted. So there's lots of technical ways that uh, if there's no inner envelope, it doesn't get counted. So there's lots of ways to mess up absentee uh, balloting in Connecticut. Somewhere between, uh, depending on on the state I've, or the city, I've seen between five and seven percent of absentee ballots don't get counted because the voter makes a mistake, and it's easy to make a mistake. So I, you know, I, I, our Secretary of State here, uh, Stephanie Thomas, who is new, just called on uh, voters in Bridgeport. To, you know, if you can get to the polls, forget the absentee ballots. Do it in person. It's it's you know you don't have to put up with with uh, any kind of uh, pressure from any partisans. You want to make sure your vote counts. Uh, if if there's a problem, say when you get to the voting station, uh, if if you mess up your ballot and the, the the machine will actually tell you and let you tear up that ballot and and get a clean one. That doesn't happen with absentee balloting. If you send something in and it's messed up, that's the end of it. Uh, so there, there, it, it is undeniable that voting in person is more secure. It's more forgiving, but it is less convenient and it's way less convenient for some people. One of the problems in, in cities in particular is, uh, is how long do you want to wait in the line to vote in person? And that's, you know, a question of election administration. I think more people would vote in person if they could be guaranteed that they'd be in and out in five minutes. Now, you know, I've never waited in an election line in my life. Um, but in, in some of the cities here, uh, because of a shortage of workers or for whatever reason, it can take, you know, it can take a long time. And, you know, we've seen pictures in, in, you know, some cities, uh, you know, I think, what was it? Atlanta. Some, there were three hour waits. Well, that's, of course, that's going to drive people to vote absentee. I mean, you, you know, we, who's going to stand in line for three hours if you have an opportunity to vote absentee? I, you know, so making, making the election polling places more efficient, uh, getting people in and out more quickly, I think that would that would definitely help too. Yeah, we've made it easier to vote in some ways, and yet 
just restricted it in others. You would think that, okay, we acknowledge that the best way, the most secure way is to vote in person. Like you said, let's just figure out a way where we can get people in and out like they're going through a drive through to pick up food. Well, we're, we're starting to do an early voting in Connecticut now. It's, it, uh, in Connecticut, it's funny. You know, it's a blue state. And people think it's pretty progressive, and in many respects it is. But it's got some of the most restrictive voting laws in the United States. Uh, uh, we do not have any early voting. The, you either vote absentee or you vote in person on the first Tuesday in November. And, and, you know, the places where, you know, where allow, uh, you know, you to go into the town clerk's office and drop off your ballot, uh, on the Friday before the election, or we don't have that here. It's starting in, in the next cycle, but, um, we're way behind making it easy for people to vote. But that's, that to me, voting in person at the town clerk's office in early voting is just as secure as voting in a polling place on election day. And there's no, I'm not worried about a campaign official walking into the clerk's office with somebody to cast an early vote. Uh, I am worried about an absentee ballot popping up in somebody's mailbox uh, and and some partisan walks by and says, I see you got your absentee ballot here. Just fill it out and I'll take it back for you. Um, you know, that's, that's, I think, a much greater risk than a risk, any risk from early voting. Yeah, I'm over in California and they, the push for absentee ballots is huge. I voted both in person. I have voted by mail. It's just the climate is vote as early as you can and vote by mail. Well, the, the campaigns love that because they know who they don't have to work on anymore, right? If if I vote my absentee and my ballot is in two weeks before the election, then I, I'm dropped off the phone lists. Nobody's calling me anymore. Nobody's saying, do you need a ride to the polls? Nobody's saying, do you need an absentee ballot? So no, campaigns love it when people vote early uh, by absentee because they know and they, can they know who's in the bank. Yeah, who's exactly who they know who's in the box already, who's in the bank, uh, whose vote is, is already counted. Um, so, you know, that that is a temptation, actually. I think that's part of what has fueled the absentee ballot uh, kind of operations in Bridgeport, that that you, that you can kind of keep track of which of your people, which are the people that you think are your people, <laughs> you know, the, the ones and the twos, as they call them, uh, have actually already gone ahead and voted. And so you can, you, you can focus your attention on the people who are your ones and twos who are still out there, who, who haven't uh, either returned an absentee ballot or have said that they're just going to go to the polls. So, yeah, and th- that's, that's, I think that, that helps to drive it, too. That's a good comment. Yeah, that, I didn't think about the campaign aspect where you would want to incentivize that. And that way you have a greater understanding and an understanding that is farther out from election day. You're not waiting till the 11th hour watching the counts come in thinking, okay, do I have this or do I not? You kind of have an idea of, oh, I've already got X amount of ballots coming in. My chances might be pretty good. Sure. And, and you know, in Connecticut, you absentee ballots can be dropped uh, 30 days before a general, 21 days before a primary. So, and then the campaigns get a list of who is voted by absentee ballot uh, periodically. So they can go through and they can say, well, you know, look, we've got, we, we, we distributed a thousand absentee ballot applications. We've got 300 of, from people that we distributed have been returned. So we, we're just going to focus all of our energy on the other 700. Yeah, sure. That's, and that's, you know, that's smart politics. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is taking custody of other people's ballots. You know, they're, they're incurred, calling them, get your ballot in. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But pressuring people, taking custody of their ballots, that's not fine. Is this the first time that a new primary has been called in Bridgeport? 
oh no, <laughs> no, no. There, there was a new primary last year in a state rep race. There was uh, three, there were two new primaries in a city council race. And I think it was 2019 or 2020. I forget the year. No, it might've been a little earlier than that. Um, uh, but th- th- it is not an, in- it is not, I-, I think the number of new primaries ordered in Bridgeport for absentee ballot misconduct exceeds the number in the entire state of Connecticut, uh, over the, over the same period of time. See, when you hear stats like that, I don't understand how people aren't saying this is a problem, especially where it's so localized. You would think, okay, easier to address. Let's figure out what is happening in Bridgeport. Well, but there's got to be an incentive to address it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, uh, and, and as long as, as long as it doesn't have an impact on the election, uh, because, you know, in 2019, I, suspect that the same thing was happening but it was but there weren't cameras at the time and and nobody leaked it if there was a camera so there's no there's no adverse consequence to the race uh from the kind of misconduct that that uh, there was evidence of in 2019 um so far in bridgeport uh this cycle there the only consequence has been to redo a primary now there may be other consequences i i suspect that there may well be but as of today there's the that's the only consequence how okay so you go to this next election this new primary right what is to stop somebody from calling this one into question nothing no it could it could happen and and i'm i'm a little uh concerned just again by the number of absentee ballot applications that have been taken out that the lessons of the November first court order uh, have <laughs> may be fleeting. Uh, they may now. now ha- although on the other hand, Judge Clark, uh, the the judge who decided the case, did a couple of things that I think helped. He shortened the time frame where absentee ballot applications could be filled out to really only about just during the the three weeks before the primary. It you it was the the we had we had absentee ballot applications for the primary the September primary that voters completed in April saying that they were going to be sick uh, in September. And that was the basis for their voting by absentee ballot. Well, that's nonsense. And, and uh, that's, no, I mean, is, is it possible that there's somebody that's, you know, that's, that's got some kind of a permanent illness that prevents them from going to the polls. Okay. I'm sure there, there are individuals that can be in that position, but not the numbers that we saw and not over the time that, that we had. Um, so judge Clark shortened the time frame for where absentee ballot applications could even be sought, which I think is smart. That, that is actually something I would recommend to the legislature because it shortens the amount of time for, for, uh, shenanigans. Frankly, it, it it compresses the the time frame, and the the defendants in the in our case opposed that part of the order, but the secretary of the state uh, agreed with it, and the judge uh, thought it was a good idea based on what had happened here. Is that all that he implemented? Was just a shorter time frame for that? Well, the secretary of state also ordered there to be an election monitor uh, appointed by the secretary of state. Uh, she actually appointed two, as it turned out, one. A uh, uh, longtime employee of the Secretary of State's office, and one retired Republican registrar from a neighboring town. I'm I'm not a hundred percent clear on what exactly they're doing. Whether they are out at at uh, you know they're not watching the drop boxes or anything like that, but I'm sure they're keeping an eye on the paperwork. I you know, and I think it's a little bit of a of a uh, 
you know, kind of an incentive uh, for people to follow the rules when they know there are at least a couple of state officials keep watching what they can watch. But those people, I don't think, are out in the you know the uh, public housing where a lot of the ballot harvesting is taking place or took place anyway in the last cycle. So, uh, you know, I think it was a positive thing to do, but uh, it's pretty far short of being able to stop the kind of problems that we saw in the last uh, the last primary. Do you anticipate it being called into question? I, be- I don't know. I it I, I I can say this. I I. I would not count anything out. Uh, I, I am not. I do not have a one hundred percent degree of confidence that there aren't going to be problems again. No, I, I. There are too many people. Again, there are too many people that are voting by absentee ballot compared to the number of people voting. However, the numbers seem to be about half of what they were in the in the primary uh, in September. Uh, at least the people that have returned ballots so far. And you don't usually get a lot of absentee ballots this late in the cycle because people think, well, you know, if I mail it on Monday, it's not going to get to the clerk by Tuesday. If I mail it on Saturday, it might not. So the numbers are going to be about half of, of uh, absentee ballots compared to the primary. And I, frankly, I, it, I think that's good if the voting in-person voting at the primary goes up by that amount. Then I think that's, that's maybe some evidence that it's working. If the numbers, if this, if the absentee ballots have gone down by 700, but the in-person has also gone down by 700, then I'm not so. Yeah, it kind of counteracts. And it calls into question, like you said, if somebody, so you have this precedent that people are participating in these acts. Yeah, you caught them through the video cameras at these ballot boxes, but what if they do just go to the mail? So I'm just going to drop these in post office box, no cameras. There is no way that I'm going to know about that absent a, a, some kind of an internal to the, a campaign uh, whistleblower or some kind of one-off something. I mean, I've got a couple of ideas. I, I, well, I'll tell you, the, the, the state actually seized all of the outer envelopes uh, from, the, this, uh, from the September primary, and they, they said they're going to test them for fingerprints. And so, you know, I, I would be pretty surprised if, if any ballot harvesters i'm not and i'm not sure whether fingerprints can be can be pulled off of a of a, an envelope like that i paper is not real easy to fingerprint and a piece of mail is not exactly handled handled gingerly uh you know in its in its course so it may be that any fingerprints are destroyed but at least the state claims they're going to try to fingerprint and maybe dna test uh outer envelope i don't know whether that's really true or not but they said that in a in a in a you know in a filing so in court, so, uh, I, but short of that, I, I as I said before, I'm just afraid that we've drawn a roadmap on how to get around the rules, and, and that's certainly I, I, I will, I'm not going to look at 2,100 hours of video because I think it's exceedingly unlikely that any ballot harvesters, if there are any, are you going to use the drop boxes this cycle? I, it's you'd, you'd be or you'd be crazy to. Yeah, now they're aware of it. Sure. Okay, the cameras are watching me. Let's go this alternate route. Well, that's the funny thing. The cameras weren't a secret before the primary. You know, the, the but cameras you have are to right have somebody there. that watches the cameras. Well, that's right. That's the difference. Uh, you know, the the cameras are there, but unless somebody, unless you know that somebody's watching them, uh, so what? It doesn't make any difference. And it certainly it didn't change anybody's behavior in September, knowing the cameras were there. Um, 
because they did what they did in full view of quite clear video cameras, you know, very, um, and nobody was trying to hide anything, which is, which is truthfully that to me, that was the scariest aspect of this. This was all, this was done very much out in the open, very much in public, very much inside of a camera and it didn't matter. Well, how, how do you change behavior? Uh, that, that, uh, that, that does that. I, other than enforcement, uh, law enforcement, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer. I wish I did. Yeah. If the cameras were meant as a deterrent, clearly didn't stop anybody. No, didn't change any behavior at all. I mean, it, it like Clark said, it, Judge Clark said, it's, it's shocking when you hear it, especially when you hear it laid out like this, that it's just a brazen act. And, and it's one, you know, I, I was on a town committee in my town for a little while. If somebody had stood up in a town committee meeting and said, this is what we're going to do to try to win the next election, they, they would have been run out. They would have been, um, nobody would have gone along with it. But it's, again, it's part, it's part of the culture here. It's a political culture anyway, that this is, this is part of the acceptable route to winning elections. And I, again, I, I think it's sad. I think it is. I think it's the, the participation rate in, in the voting participation rate in Bridgeport has dropped precipitously through the years. And I don't know Bridgeport well enough. I mean, I work here. I'm, I've got friends here, um, but I'm not a voter in Bridgeport. But I wonder if part of the reason that the voting rate has gone down so much over the years is just this, this kind of cynicism that it doesn't matter. And, I, and if that is the case, and I can see that being a rational conclusion on, on the part of, of, of a, some, of some voters. And if that is the case, I think that is a profoundly sad, um, uh, effect of this kind of, uh, of this kind of, uh, activity. Uh, it, we, we don't need to be doing things to make people more cynical about voting. Uh, we, there's lots of other reasons, uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, people are cynical about voting, but, but, you know, ballot stuffing on video is just, it's, 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 it not only does it not help it, it, I think it hurts. It hurts, it hurts faith in the system. It hurts belief in the, uh, in the integrity of elections and, uh, whether, whether it's a, whether it is the tip of an iceberg or whether it is a one-off uh, kind of doesn't matter because it, it, it feeds into that narrative, uh, that conclusion that if you want to see evidence of, uh, of absentee ballot misconduct, all you have to do is click on exhibit 143 in my case, and you got 17 minutes of uh, videos of people dropping other people's ballots into drop boxes, then taking the fifth about it. Yeah, it's hard not to draw the conclusion that your vote doesn't matter when you see that. Well, it's yeah, it it certainly doesn't help. I I will be interested to see what the uh, what the rate is in uh, of participation in the new primary. I mean, now it's the middle of winter here; it's cold. Um, I, I, you know, it's confusing. I, there, there is, this is not something that, um, you know, people are used to the campaigns have both been working very hard. Um, but we're just gonna have to see, I don't know. What is the sense on the ground? I mean, have, has the public seen any of those videos? Have they been released? Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they've been pretty available, uh, here, uh, there, the, uh, the Gomes campaign, kind of put up, put them up on their website. I think the, the Connecticut mirror, which is an online, uh, journalism, uh, 
project uh, put the, the entire video up. No, it's it's been it's, it's received quite a bit of play, uh, and and has been viewed by a lot of people. I'm I'm I think most of the news outlets used it. I know the Fox Channel here used it. The uh, ABC affiliate used it. CBS affiliate used it. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think anybody who wanted to look at it had an opportunity to look at it. Safe to say that most people are aware of just how crazy it went this last election. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, not everybody pays huge attention to politics. Obviously the, the participation rate in the primary was only about 15%, which is, you know, really awful when you get right down to it, 15% of registered Democrats. Um, and but I think any anybody who is paying attention knows about it, and anybody who's just a little bit paying attention probably knows enough about it. The only people that that never heard of it are people that are just kind of disengaged from the political process, and they're not going to vote in a primary anyway. So you know that's that's I, I think I, how, how many did it change anybody's mind? I mean, I think that's really an interesting question. I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I would like to think that, that, that there are some number of people that would look at that video and say, you know what, we got a problem here and we got to try to fix it. I, and, and, and the optimistic part of me says, uh, that that's the case. And then, you know, the pessimistic part of me says, you know, your tribe is your tribe and you're, you're just going to stick with your tribe winner, you know, no matter what, as long as they keep winning. But I don't know. I, I'm, <laughs> I guess we're going to have to see. Yeah. I, I'm I'm alarmed to say it, but I think a lot of people do fall into that latter camp where it's just, this is my party. I, blue, no matter who, red, no matter who, you see the D or the R and you check that box. Well, I, I, there is, you, you, correct. Uh, there, I, I am actually a registered independent party member. I, I uh, uh, set up a minor party, helped set up a minor party in my town a couple of years ago and kind of went in that direction. Uh, like to try to, you know, work with, uh, with sensible people on both sides. Um, but they, they're, I mean, but they're, they're, I, I, I'd like to go to a, a candidate forum and there wasn't one for this race. I'd like to go to a candidate forum where, where like uncommitted people, people that weren't in either Ganem's camp or Gomes camp were able to go and ask questions and, and, and really, uh, have the the candidates listen to them um because i i just i i just have a feeling that there is getting to be a some number of people that in bridgeport are tired of it that are just tired of the nonsense that are tired of you know being in the new york times not because of some great public works project but because of you know years of ballot misconduct then they're tired of the you know the the Elections Enforcement Commission, um, you know, there's something like 20 something complaints relating to the primary uh, that are now pending before the state. And I, I just I just think at some point there a a a a, a core of people in Bridgeport is going to say we've had enough. We, we it's, this is we don't want to be known for this. We, we want to be known for something else. We want to be known for, you know, being the, the home of P.T. Barnum. Uh, we want to be known uh, for. You know, having a vibrant uh, music uh, amphitheater, uh, we want to be known for something other than absentee ballot misconduct. And so, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hopefully see that. Yeah, you don't want to be the city known for voter fraud. 
Oh, there are a my lot light of, just turned itself off. Here we go. Those motion lights. Yeah, there are a yeah. lot of things that you want higher up on that list than to be known nationally for that. Yeah, it's no, it's it's not great. It's it's uh, it's uh, again sad is that's the word I keep coming back to, and that's that's absolutely what I believe. Yeah, especially with a turnout of fifteen percent. Do you know the average for Connecticut as a whole? I don't really. I don't. Um, I, I think fifteen's pretty low. Right. I think Hartford just had a three-way primary in September, and I think their rate was around 25, I want to say. But I, I really haven't researched that carefully. It's, uh, it's, but it, the, 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 it has dropped in Bridgeport significantly. It's about half of what it used to be. So, you know, is that reflective of, of national trends? I don't really know, but I just know that, that it's not going in a positive direction. And you, th- you would think at face value that this would be a nonpartisan issue that both sides would recognize election integrity is in everybody's benefit. We want people to believe that our elections are strong and secure and we can come together to achieve that. Well, <laughs> you, you would think that, uh, and it may become bipartisan depending on what the general assembly does. Uh, you know, I'm going to make some proposals to our general assembly, uh, next month, shortening the time to get applications is definitely going to be on the list. Uh, cameras is going to be on the list, although I'm pretty ambivalent about that, honestly. Um, so, you know, there are a few things uh, tinkering around the edges I think can be done, but it, it, it's, again, it goes back to what we, we were talking about earlier is, is, is it more important to win an election or is it more important to have principles? And, um, you know, I, one of my, when I was a kid, I kind of, one of my political leaders that I really respected was Mario Cuomo, who used to be the, the governor of New York. Um, and he, the reason I thought he was somebody I, I admired is he said, you know, every politician needs to have an issue that they would rather lose an election over than compromise their principle. And for him, it was a death penalty. He kept vetoing the death penalty in New York. Uh, in, and I, I don't know, this was maybe in the seventies, something like that. And he ultimately got beat for it. And he said, you know, I don't care. I would, that was something that I was not going to compromise my principles on. I, I would like to think that there are politicians in Connecticut that would r- rather uh, not compromise their principles on election integrity than to win an election. You know, I guess we're going to have to see. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about Connecticut, but at a national level, it does not feel like politicians these days have that level of integrity. It might not be what? cheat to win, but it's definitely sell your soul, change whatever you have to, to get where you want to go. Well, that's the question I keep asking myself. I, I, I always ask the Mario Cuomo question. What, what is it that this person, this man, this woman, what is this person so feel so strongly about that? They, if they, if they knew that it was going to lose in the election, what, what would they, would they change their mind? Would they do it differently? I don't, and you know, <laughs> with some people, it's pretty hard to identify that, uh, that, that belief, that core principle. But, um, you know, I think some people, I, I mean, maybe even many people, uh, do have that, but, uh, uh, it's sometimes harder to see in other people. Definitely sometimes harder to see. Bill, thank you for doing this. Thanks for taking the time to come on and chat with me. My pleasure, Nick. Anytime. And, uh, we'll keep listening. Yeah. The elections tomorrow, we will see how it goes. Oh, indeed. All right. Take care.